It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many you know, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. This episode is brought to you by Hyperice, the leader in advanced warm-up and recovery technology. They have tons of innovative products, like Venom heated wearables to help soothe sore back muscles, Normatec compression boots to speed up recovery and increase circulation, and Hypervolt massage guns to improve mobility. Loved by athletes like Naomi Osaka and Erling Holland. Try them yourself. Get 10% off your order with the code MOVE at hyperrice.com. to the Cut to the Race podcast, the show where we bring you incredible interviews, race reviews, and the latest news in F1. I'm your host, Ollie, and today with me to discuss the Saudi Arabian Grand Prix at Jeddah, we have Sam. How are you, Sam? I'm good, thank you. I'm very much looking forward to discussing this race because I feel like it was one that simmered away but didn't actually quite come to the boil at any point. But there's so much that happened kind of there's nuanced stuff that happened behind the scenes and there's a a lot more to what seemed to be kind of simple um expected events during an f1 race there's there's a much more wider context to uh to uh look into i think you're right because we have the same three in the finishing in the top three but how we got there was completely different um but also with us to discuss this we have abby how are you today abby i'm very well thanks how are you I am fantastic. Thank you for asking. And I am even more fantastic because our podcast has been shortlisted at the Sports Podcast Awards for the best motorsports podcast. Now, we've been doing this for about three years. This is episode number 200. It all just seems to have fallen into place. I mean, uh, Abby, how do you feel that a panel of industry experts have said, we're in the shortlist for the best motorsports podcast? I mean, it's, it's wild, right? It is. I am very proud of what you started with the Formula Nerds and the podcast and what Sam, James and I have come to join in. It is impressive and I'm very happy that we managed to get on the shortlist. It is. I mean, Sam, you didn't fully believe me when I first told you, did you? (laughs) 
Well, as a general rule of thumb, Wally, I don't believe much of what you tell me, so... Uh, <laughs> So, you know, oh. <laughs> no, it's, I think it's a safer default stance and then I'll let you convince me from there uh, as opposed to the other way around. No, I'm just playing with you. Uh, yeah, no, I, I was uh, very, very pleased, but it's not something that you ever really expect. No, it's not. Um but it's, the voting is now open, so we've been shortlisted by the industry experts, so now it is down to the fan vote. So, you know what we're going to do? We're going to ask you to vote for us. What you need to do is just Google Sports Podcast Awards and click on that, and then go to the motorsport category, hit vote on Cut to the Race. This is the one you want to support. There are a great selection of podcasts there. You know, we are one of them, but there's also a fantastic uh, number of podcasts there representing different motorsports as well. So, um, yeah, get on there. Please vote for us and uh, we'll let you know how we get on. But moving on to the Saudi Arabian Grand Prix, round two of the 2023 World Championship. It's that point where we get into our weekend ratings. So this is rating the weekend as a whole. You know, the other motorsport, we had F2 as well this weekend. So, Abby, I'm going to start with you because you voted the last race pretty low, didn't you? Um, how would you rate this weekend? It was definitely better than Bahrain. Bahrain, I think I voted 6.5. So it was higher than halfway. But Saudi Arabia, it had a lot more action. I think personally, especially on track during the Grand Prix, as a weekend as a whole, I'd give it an eight, I think, because F2 was enjoyable to watch as Sam and I know the feeder series are probably some of the most entertaining dramas that you can get on track. But the Grand Prix itself, I'm going to go with a 7.5. Abby, I said before we started recording, I bet you're going to do a point five again. I know, I know. It's, it's like you've got ten numbers to choose from, but you make it twenty. You, it's, you not, just... <laughs> it's not quite an eight, but it's better than a seven. Yeah. So. Okay. Well, you know, we're sliding towards people going seven point two five or seven point seven five. So you know, <laughs> then, then, then just... you're looking at you know, <laughs> getting rid out of hand, Ollie. Why don't we just rate it out of hundred? Maybe that'd be easier for Abby. <laughs> Because then she'll be like, uh, a 96.349. <laughs> and you're like, uh, okay, are we rounding like that up to, be, to how many decimal points? I like to be specific. So 7.5. I do recall actually last year, one of the races went off the scale as well. It wasn't even within 10, it was over 10. Um, but I think that's well, the race that you weren't at. Um, not, not, to, not, to, not to get too into it, but I feel like a rating system that will turn up today will buck a trend when it comes to the scale. I think we could be seeing some minuses <laughs> being awarded. But I won't, say anything more. I won't say anything more at this stage. All right. Um, Sam, uh, your weekend rating, please, out of 10. See, uh, this is interesting because I've completely forgotten what I gave Bahrain. So I don't have that benchmark in my head. I think... With Saudi Arabia, there's the expectation game of you expect a really explosive race because of uh, really 2021. And then 2022, we had that, it, the the almost or kind of the title battle that we were deprived of was very much still in its infancy. So we were expecting this, you know, great season. So there was lots of excitement around the Verstappen-Leclerc battle. Um, but I think, again, I'm going to say, I'm going to be honest, F2 
is doing a lot of the heavy lifting. What an absolute corker of a weekend in F2. It had every, every possible facet or aspects of F2 that you'd expect. Red flags in qualifying right when people are, you know, on on on, on green sector laps. Uh, yeah, you had drivers spinning out from the lead. You had drivers, you know, taking each other out, you know, through, you know, F2-like mistakes. Honestly, I, I, this weekend was the perfect perfect advert for F2. Just brilliant action across the board. Um, but in terms of F1, uh, which is you know, kind of more of the bread and butter, I guess, um, I think the overall weekend was, as I said at the top of the podcast, it kind of simmered away. It never really quite came to boil. Um, it was nice to see that Aston Martin's pace, they consolidated that from, from Bahrain, it is a legitimate pace across different types of track. Um, but overall, I thought it was probably a better weekend than it might immediately seem. So I'm going to give it an eight out of ten for a weekend, um, and I'm going to give I'm going to give the race an eight out of ten as well. Wowzers! So I, yeah, I, I don't know. That feels high. It, it, it is high, but I, I'm 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 in agreement with you, Sam. I'm going to give it an eight out of ten. I gave Bahrain an eight out of ten. I should have given Bahrain slightly lower, but you know we're still we're still calibrating our ratings at this at this point in the season. So yeah, I'm going to go at an eight out of ten for the Saudi Arabia race weekend. It's obviously. It's a place in the world where there's lots of controversy. People have their opinions about about racing there, um, you know, in general. But I also, I love the track. I think the track is just incredible. Yes, it's slightly virgin on dangerous. And there are a lot of, oh my God, moments when uh, drivers are passing each other or drivers are facing the wrong way. But this track is epic. Oh, yeah. I mean, Teo Porcher was saying the other evening that because they've opened up the sight lines, they have made it safer. It's it's actually it's enhancing that proposition, right? Because you're taking away that kind of uneasy feeling that I think a lot of us had that first weekend in Saudi Arabia because of how quick and blind the circuit was. You had a number of instances in free practice where um, drivers, yeah, yeah, their engineers were too late on the call of yeah, someone's going so ahead of you, and you, you know, Hamilton almost got penalties for it. I remember right at the height of the championship battle. So the fact that they've taken those steps is just yeah adding to the to, to the track and it is yeah it's a, a an amazing proposition it's so quick the walls are so close it's brilliant it's certainly not a track I would want to drive around in an F1 car. There are some tracks I feel like, yeah, I'd love to go around Silverstone in an F1 car, but uh, Jeddah is not one of the tracks I would pick. It is terrifying, but that's that's almost what we'd be missing in in, in certain places, like you know the French Grand Prix. Um, there's so much runoff. There's just it almost lacks a danger to it. F1 is meant to be dangerous. You're going at 200 miles an hour. If there's no repercussions from going off the track, then what's the point of going that speed? Do you, know, do you know what I mean, Sam? I, I know exactly what you mean because it's actually quite funny that you mentioned the French Grand Prix and the you know um, Paul Ricard. I'm not sure if it's um, in terms of the setup if it's similar to Saudi Arabia, but in terms of configuration, they certainly look quite similar. So I wonder if you suck some really close walls to the circuit, in Paul Ricard, what the the end result would be. 
<laughs> yeah, yeah, it's it's interesting. It is interesting. Um, okay, so those are our weekend ratings. Now we don't have James with us today. You would have noticed. Now James is our quiz master. He he does he supports us through the quizzes and and helps us get through them. Quiz master. That's the wrong term, isn't it? He's not our quiz master. He's the master of quizzes. Yeah, he's he's a, Abby is the quiz master. James is the um the one doing the bulk of the work. <laughs> yes. So uh, I gave up my seat as the, the quiz ringer. master. He's the ringer. He's the ringer. But he's not here today. So um, we're going to get into the world-famous Formula Nose quiz. But me and Sam are unsupported today. So, Abby, would you like to take it away? Yes, because I'm interested to see how well you guys perform. So, there's 10 questions... The topic is best of British because I believe it was 16 years since Hamilton made his F1 debut and Russell nearly got a podium. So, you know, rub salt in the wound a bit. And we're British. (laughs) And yeah, we're British. Um, So it's all about the best of British. Question one. Who was the first Briton to successfully defend the World Drivers' Championship? Successfully defend. <laughs> okay, so, so that means two in a row. Yes. Okay, so uh, would it have been one of the hills or would it have been Jim Clark? Because I know it, uh, ne- it was neither. Fuck. And Lewis Hamilton. Um, <laughs> yes. No, wait. Yeah, yeah, what? yeah. What? Yeah, he's, he's nuts. Two in a row, yes. Because I knew it wasn't Jackie Stewart, because that was what sixty nine, seventy one, and he's Scottish. No, he's British though. Does he race under? Yeah, okay. (laughs) I'm I'm counting him as British. (laughs) We're not getting into that whole Andy Murray thing. I love Andy Murray. (laughs) He is definitely British as well as Scottish. Anyway, different sport. Okay, which Britain finished runner-up in the World Drivers' Championship for four straight seasons during the 1950s? Sterling Moss. Sterling Moss. Yes, well done. Ka-ching! <laughs> wow, I'll never do that. James, James, James will be proud. <laughs> Question three. Which Britain won the 1958 World Drivers' Championship despite winning just one race that season? Mike Hawthorne. Yeah. Correct. Question four. Who is the oldest British driver to have won an F1 race? Oldest? Uh, I reckon Nigel Mansell. Correct. Yeah, yeah. I was was about to give a bit of extra, but yeah, nice. (laughs) It will be Lewis Hamilton. Yeah. Who are the two British drivers to have won a race in their first F1 season? Well, Lewis Hamilton's one of them. And the other, it's this is a long time ago. He's already been mentioned. Yeah, Sterling Moss. No, not Mike quite. Hawthorne. No. Nope. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> uh. Who else have we mentioned, Sam? Oh no, it was Jim. Clark. Nigel Mansell. No, 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 it was um, one of the hills. Um, no. No. Related to Andy Murray? 
Oh, it was a oh, Jackie Stewart. Yes, Sir Jackie Stewart. Yes, I like how you said Sir Jackie Stewart, but you didn't say Sir Lewis. Anyway, I know, I know, I know. Don't say it. I know because he's young. Yeah, he's, he's a very young person to be a sir. Okay. Which Briton is the only driver to have raced in a car bearing the number zero? Zero. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> Raced in a car. Was it a car in F1? Yes. I, I, I mean, I so. could whack a zero on the side of a Ford Fiesta. Does that count? <laughs> um, no. <laughs> right, okay. Um, is it one of the hills? I, actually, you know what? I should stop saying one of the hills because one of the hills definitely raced under, under an American flag. Um, I'm going to go uh, Graham Hill. Oh, boy. It's Damon Hill, then. Yes. Is it Damon Hill? Yes. Yes, it was. 94. <sighs> yeah, yeah I don't know yeah. if that's the year, but yes. Correct. Yeah, no, it was um, after, I think, for whatever reason, Williams, because Senna had number two before he passed away, and then, yeah, anyway. <laughs> okay, next question. Which driver was fined $2,000 for punching a marshal at the 1977 Canadian Grand Prix? I mean, this is James Hunt written all over. It is James Hunt. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Lewis Hamilton holds the record for the most consecutive races started by a British driver. Whose record did he break? Uh, I've got my Jensen button. Which British driver did he break? Yeah, Jensen button. Yeah. Yes. Okay. Which British great from the 1950s was known as the Racing Dentist? The Racing Dentist? I don't know, but whoever they were, I wouldn't go anywhere near them. <laughs> <laughs> Me and Sam are both petrified of the dentist. Um, <laughs> yeah, would you prefer root canal or T-bone? <laughs> um, uh, no, no I'm, I'm going to pass. Okay. Tony Brooks. Ah. Uh, mm, yeah. Okay. Final question. Um... You should definitely know this, both of you. Lewis Hamilton is a part owner of which NFL team? I don't actually know that. I do know that. Sam should. It's the Denver Broncos. Correct. Woo. Well so done. How many did we get wrong? Two, one, I think. One, so nine out of ten. Nine out you of should ten be more positive, Ollie. It should be, how many did we get wrong? <laughs> <laughs> well, I knew so we'd got mate, most of them. Mate, don't be a Nico Hulkenberg. Have a growth <laughs> mindset. <laughs> Okay, so that is the world-famous Formula Nerds quiz. Um, James, who wasn't with us today, I hope you enjoyed it and played along uh, wherever you are. On a Eurostar. Okay, so let's talk about the race weekend. So coming into the weekend, the talk, well, the news was really that there were a few layout changes. Now, Abby, I know you summarised these beautifully on FormulaNerds.com. Do you want to just explain what the what the changes they made were to the circuit? Yes. So obviously they made these changes to make it a lot safer. They had, they modified the fencing around five different corners. They moved the walls and the barriers back. So it wasn't quite as tight, but one of the main things was they tightened the chicane of turn 22 and 23, which made it about 30 kilometers slower. And they also added some new curbs and rumble strips along the circuit as well, removing the steel plates, which were considered dangerous in the past two seasons of it. And is that 30 kilometres per hour slower? Yes. Okay, cool. That's, that's a long way. <laughs> cool. Okay. And I think the, the rest of the talk really was 
were Aston Martin um, bluffing about their performance? Was it actually going to follow through into the weekend? Um, Sam, I know you've turned yourself into a bit of an Aston Martin fan recently. Did you think that it was a bit of a fluke in Bahrain and they were going to carry this through? Or did you think it was legit? I mean, first of all, I've always quite liked Aston Martin. I've had a bit of a soft spot for them. I think I just like green. I love the Jaguar cars from back in the day. Anyway, that's not the crux of the question. Um, I don't think they'd be so... Worst case scenario, they wouldn't be so far off the pace. Worst case scenario, they'd be the fourth quickest team, right? But I don't think we were expecting them to be even quicker in relative pace than they appeared to be in Bahrain. I think that we kind of maybe foolishly thought this is best case scenario for them. But across the weekend, through practice, through qualifying, they had the measure of the Mercedes and the Ferraris. So, yeah, they've now two very different types of track. They've proven they can mix it in that huge, admittedly, huge delta between the Red Bulls and the uh, the other two, quote-unquote, big three. Yeah, so so that was certainly one talking point. Now, the others, we're not going to go into in depth, but there's been so much... I want to say rubbish, but I'm not sure I can say it. So much nonsense about Lewis Hamilton leaving Mercedes uh, and moving on potentially to Ferrari. And then the other big story was Lando's going to leave McLaren uh, and break his deal. Um, None of which really have any substance, but it's certainly entertained us for the past previous week or so, hasn't it, Abby? I mean, um, do you see anything but hot air in these stories? I think... There could be some truth to it. Obviously, for Lando McLaren not performing that well this year and he is signed to them for a multi-year deal and he is very young. He's early. It is early in his career. So he could potentially move. With Lewis, I think Toto said that he wouldn't like hold it against Lewis if he did decide to look elsewhere. And he also said if Mercedes can't perform a competitive championship winning car for Lewis to win his eighth title... He like wants Lewis to look elsewhere because he needs that eighth championship. I don't think we'll see him leave Mercedes in the next couple of years. But if Mercedes do continue going downhill, then it could be likely. But his, his options are limited, right? He's not going to go to Red Bull. Let's not even have that conversation. Ferrari need to prove a hell of a lot in terms of that they can make strides with race strategy, with reliability, with actually, quote, you know, with actually, with also just outright pace at this stage. Aston Martin, you're going to have to hang around till Alonso's left, and then you've got Felipe Drogovic coming through. So you've got, you know, obviously you'd go for Hamilton over Drogovic, let's face it. Um, but, yeah, what is he, take a chance on someone like Alpine? His, his options are looking really limited. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm sure it's something that we'll cover uh, throughout the season. But I did say in the season predictions, the Hamilton contract saga will be the talk of the season. And it's already becoming that. I mean, um, Mercedes had to write a letter, an open letter, talking about the deal with Hamilton and not not leaving. Um but going into the weekend, it was Max Verstappen who was, um, we were unsure if he was even going to be there because he was ill. Now, he had a reported stomach bug and uh, didn't attend any of the media sessions on Thursday. Is is that right? That is right. Yes, he uh, arrived late to the party over the weekend. Uh, so, yeah, missed his media duties on Thursday. But I think, you know, if the driver is legitimately ill, that's fine. They don't get fined for that or anything. Uh, so, 
Yeah. Not, it doesn't really hinder your preparation in terms of missing media day, but you obviously are working around that. Uh, so maybe started slightly on the back foot, but nothing compared to the likes of, you know, say Lance Stroll over the last few <laughs> yeah. weeks. Yeah. I mean, Abby, how do you prove to the FIA that you've got a stomach bug? I mean, you know, <laughs> I sorry, I can't make it. Um, <laughs> what do you do? Is there a procedure? <laughs> Photographic evidence. I was just going to say that, but then I thought, ew. That's, yeah, I don't know, but... Probably a doctor's note, something like that. Probably. Yeah. Okay, um, Abby, anything to call out in the practice sessions? We don't need to go through them all one by one, but it was certainly a, a dominant Red Bull performance all the way through, wasn't it? It was. Well, earlier in the podcast, you said that the three podium sitters for Saudi were the same as Bahrain, and those three podium sitters in Saudi were the three drivers who topped every single practice. Verstappen was fastest in all of them. And then Perez was fastest in FP1 and FP3 with Alonso fastest in FP2. Now, some talking points were Perez and Verstappen both took a new gearbox. Leclerc and Science for Ferrari both took new power units with Leclerc taking a grid place penalty of 10 points. But throughout free practice, we saw some drivers have a couple of wobbly moments. De Vries didn't get any running in FP3 at all because he needed a new power unit. Verstappen had some issues with his car throughout free practice, which then came to a head in qualifying, as we'll get on to. But it was just showing that Aston Martin had the pace. Hamilton and Russell were looking good, but not quite as good as their competitors. And Alpine were looking strong on this track compared to Bahrain. Yeah, so this this Red Bull, okay, we know it's... We know it's absolutely rapid. It's like next generation F1 car fast. It, it, it's almost uh, a league. It's it's F0.5, right? How fast it is. But there seems to be some problems with it. Now, Sam, did you did you pick up on these? It, it, it seems it, it did seem like the driver had not very much confidence in the re- reliability of this car throughout the weekend. Yeah, there were a couple of gremlins, not necessarily related to each other, but a few things that just weren't quite sitting as the team would have liked. I think there's always a little bit of anxiety early in the season. And you saw from last year, there's maybe fair reason as to why uh, Perez and, and Verstappen will be a little bit cautious when it comes to uh, when it comes to the overall reliability of the car. So, yeah, I think it plays at the back of your mind as a driver when when you do have those concerns. But yeah, it was just, it's not the first time that we've seen during a session the Red Bull guys kind of saying, oh, this isn't quite working, this isn't quite as it should be, I'm having problems. It doesn't usually come to fruition in terms of retirement or, or a kind of proper, proper issue, but they tend to have gremlins throughout a race that they have to manage. Uh, so, yeah, I think it's just kind of in the DNA of the cars that they produce, really. Yeah, absolutely. Abby, do you want to take us into qualifying where we can talk about the gremlin coming out and showing its ugly face? Yes. So in Q1, we saw De Vries and Alonso have a spin. Sargent had track limits, so his lap time was deleted. We saw Lando Norris brush the wall, which then damaged his front left tyre. So he then came into the pits and was subsequently out of qualifying. And then we also saw some double yellows because Sargent spun and went off track. And he said, I think I have to stop. Something's broken. So he was also out of qualifying. So it was Sonoda, Albon, De Vries, Norris and Sargent out of Q1. 
Yeah, so two things I want to unpick here. Number one is Logan Sargent's performance in Q1. And I'm going to throw that to Sam, who is his biggest fan. Um, And then the other thing is the track limits. What on earth? How did they describe that? Track limits on turn... Which turn was it? The the final corner, right, essentially? 27. Yeah, Yeah. 27. It's past 27. Yeah, where there is... No court. Well, you can't go over track limits. Now, we've eventually understood that that was actually the pit lane entry. But in terms of, you know, the the, 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 the race weekend notes from the FIA, it seemed like no one knew about this was a thing until Q1, right? Yeah, well, we saw the Sky broadcast team questioning it, going, how can you have track limits at the final corner? Because there's a wall. You physically can't go off. So it was kind of unusual to hear that. But then Hulkenberg, he also got track limits at that corner as well. But yeah, it did come to terms that it was the pit lane entry, which was a bit baffling because as Sam said, it was after, it's actually after turn 27 along the main straight. And in so many circuits across the world, they cut, well, they they drive over their pit lane entry, right? I mean, there's hundreds of them where they do it. Um, But yeah, let's get on to Sargent. I was very shocked to sort of see, it it almost looked like he was falling apart to me. It just got worse and worse throughout Q1. Sam, what what do you take on Sargent? What we know about Logan Sargent is that he is incredibly quick, but he also, when mistakes creep in or when something doesn't go his way he can sometimes slide into a bit of a kind of spiral um it's just something that he's you know gonna have to work on he's early in his career he's not the only driver that we've we've seen with that coming into into formula one or during their you know time in f2 he was unlucky because the pace was so clearly there he was unlucky with the track limits but he also did have you know a spin and I think when you've lost a lap and you have one chance to nail it, especially um, around somewhere like Jeddah, that's high. That's a high pressure situation. So he's it's his rookie year. He's going to make mistakes, and I think the team would rather he push and show what he can do and make those mistakes because ultimately he will learn from them. Um, but yeah, I'm not concerned. I don't think he should be concerned, and I don't think the team will be concerned at all. Yeah, I mean, it, it was it was it was showing that he's a rookie, right? It's his second race in F one. The pressure is going to get to you. You're, I think you're absolutely you're right there, Sam. Um, but the other thing uh, in Q one was Lando driving into the inside wall on the final corner. That was that was a strange one, wasn't it? And he he took his. He, I think he knocked the wishbone out. Um, what? How did Lando do that? Do you think there was just a bit more grip than he had expected? Maybe he was trying to overdrive the car, but it's very rare to see a driver hit the inside of a corner, right? Especially a wall. Yeah, but I think when you're over the, you know, 27 corners on that track, how many times do you, how many corners do you reckon they turn over a race weekend, over a season, over a career? It's the kind of thing that I guess it happens every now and again. Statistically, you are every, you know, every one in however many times, you're going to slightly misjudge a corner. You know, something will happen. You have to correct mid corner, whatever it is. And I think it was just one of those freak accidents, really, um, that does unfortunately happen even to drivers as, as talented as Lando. Absolutely. All right. Abby, do you want to give us some uh, Q2 summary? Yes. 
Now, for Q2, it was very interesting because we had both Mercedes out on new sets of tyres. We had Alonso improving on his time. Hülkenberg continued to show pace, but as I mentioned before, his lap time was deleted. But then it did get very interesting because Verstappen, who we all know excels at qualifying and in the Grand Prix, he said he had a big moment in the car over the radio. And then soon after that, he could be heard saying it's like it's not accelerating and he had an issue with the engine and when we saw him go to the pits he then got out of the car and was out of qualifying putting him in p15 and he said that he had a broken drive shaft and then it was left to the rest of the drivers to fight but unfortunately it was Hulkenberg, Joe Guanyu, Magnussen, Bottas and Verstappen out of q2. Yeah, so Max Max being out in Q2 is is almost the talking point of this this entire weekend. Now that he had already changed the gearbox, and now the drive shaft has failed. Now the drive shaft failing is essentially you can't drive the car, right? Um, you don't need to be an engineer to know that. But that is seriously concerning for Red Bull. You're in qualifying, you need to get it on the front. Well, or do you with Max Verstappen? Um, but this this is that reliability creeping in. And we saw last year, at the beginning of the year, Red Bull had reliability issues. Do you think this is just understanding the car and, and getting 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 used to it? They've already used two gearboxes out of their three allowance for the year. As it's this this is supposed to be an an extension of last year's car, not a whole redesign. Should this be happening at this point, Sam? Yeah, it does happen. You know, even though it's, uh, I mean, it's it's one of those things, right? I think that it's it's about the context to it. If they were in this kind of battle with Ferrari, where Ferrari are going, anything bad you can do, we can do worse. Uh, so, <laughs> I don't think they're going to be that concerned because, you know, Ferrari are in a similar position when it comes to reliability. With a new, with an evolution of a car you're still going to get those teething pains. There's still things that have changed. You know, they they may well have done considerable work in the back end to repackage that gearbox to... There are, there are things that are, you know, going on underneath the bodywork that we don't see as, you know, as, as fans, as pundits, as, as whoever. So you will get these things from time to time. Uh, yeah, I mean, I'm very, I'm coming across very nonplussed about all of these things so far today. I'm just like, everything you're saying, Ollie, I'm like, yeah, no, no, it's all good. I wouldn't worry about it. I'm just, I don't know, <laughs> maybe I'm just, uh, have reached a serene level of calm this evening where I'm just, <laughs> but, just going uh, with the flow. I, th- I think it is because we're at the start of the season, right? It, it, it feels like that. Well, yeah, th- you know, think you can struggle. You'll get better as the year goes on. But if this was the final race of the year or the penultimate race, w- we would be saying very, very, differently you know this is a championship impacting sort of event right yeah exactly and if they weren't so far ahead of the competition in terms of raw pace um but i think early in the season it's very very easy to over analyze every little aspect because you have less to analyze in terms of you know for events um i think it's yeah very easy to catastrophize every little thing um <laughs> i think you need to we need to let the season play out a little bit more because what three four rounds into the year we thought it was last year we thought ferrari are going to walk this so yeah yeah okay sam i'll take your feedback on board i'm happy to- <laughs> <laughs> no, yeah, that wasn't meant like that basically Ollie, stop making drama out of nothing okay <laughs> Why, why even why even record a podcast? You know? There's nothing to talk about. <laughs> uh, Abby, do you want to talk us through Q3? And don't make any drama out of anything, okay? Because Sam, Sam will just, he'll just brush it off. <laughs> okay. So with Verstappen 
out, obviously. It was then a fight for pole, and Alonso was, was continuing. No big deal, my so my so. I'm not joking. Sorry. <laughs> yeah, it's just pole. It doesn't matter at this stage of the season. <laughs> Who cares about winning? <laughs> Taking pole. Alonso. Alonso has then proving the Aston Martin had pace, setting purple sectors. Stroll even set a purple sector. Russell came into the pits at one point to assess damage after going over some curbs aggressively. Hamilton unfortunately couldn't improve on his lap times, but it was then Sergio Perez who took pole in 2022 at this circuit and took pole again in 2023 with Leclerc behind him and Alonso in third with Russell fourth and Sainz in fifth. But because of Leclerc's engine penalty, he would drop down to P10, meaning that it would be Alonso starting on the front row for the race. And I'd just like to point out that Oscar Piastri, who had a terrible weekend in Bahrain, made it into Q3 and qualified P9. Yeah, I mean, he did have a terrible weekend this weekend, but not at this point. Um, it, it was it was refreshing to see that Piastri could do it. And you look at the rookies on the grid, right? And of course, it doesn't matter at this stage of the season, Sam. But um, Piastri in Q3, what a result. What a result. P9, come on. I'm pretty sure three or four times on the last race review, I said that there's clearly pace in that McLaren. And I'll rest my case. It is early enough in the season to see that there's pace in that car. One stat that I really love that's come out of this qualifying session, and this is credit to Philip Horton, who is uh, an F1 journo uh, that you're probably familiar with. Sergio Perez has two poles from three attempts in Jeddah and zero poles from 238 attempts at every other track. <laughs> the man loves it there. Absolutely loves it. Yeah, that is that is wild. When you when you break it down like that, I do I like that. I like that a lot. Um, I did remember saying um, to our team during qualifying, if Perez doesn't get pole here, there is a serious problem at Red Bull, right? Because Perez, he's he's, he's the backup man, right? He's like, you know, when your battery runs out, he's your backup charger. That's what Perez is. And if Alonso went on and got pole... Right. Okay. That's so harsh. I was going to call him like a rear gunner. Or like yeah, a rear gunner, yeah, yeah. But he's, he's your reserve, right? Um, you know, Perez did, he delivered, right? And, and to be fair, Perez looked absolutely over the moon about it. And so did Christian Horner. Um, but it was a well-deserved poll. Um, did you guys think Alonso was going to get P2? I mean, well, in terms of, in terms of, times obviously he started in p2 but he qualified third um it, it was a good result for charles leclerc really wasn't it yeah it was he bounced back from bahrain unfortunately things didn't go quite to plan in the race but it was good to see him qualify on the front row and i think he certainly had a better qualifying than Sainz, who was behind russell but it was good to see that the ferrari can do something right and actually get a good result I don't know about you guys, but I was particularly excited when you saw Lance Stroll go purple in sector one. And I was thinking, come on. Uh, yes. I, was see, I yes. thought it was on. Because Lance is quick over one lap. He is a good qualifier. And I was like, yeah, come on, me. Just, I think I just took too much life out of the tyres and didn't have anything by the uh, third sector. Yeah, science, again, we said it last time in Bar- you know, after Bahrain. They need more from him. And I think that qualifying session was a perfect example of that. I thought Leclerc did brilliantly to out-qualify Fernando Alonso, given where the pace had seemingly been so far up to that, you know, over the weekend up to that point. George Russell, again, brilliant lap. Lewis Hamilton, just, 
yeah, obviously there's stuff going on with setup and you know all those kind of other things. But again, I don't know what it is. He every now and again over the last couple of years will just have a really kind of meh qualifying session. Mm. Yeah, it, it was Jeddah last Jedi year Austin. as well, wasn't yeah. it? Yeah, 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 yeah. But I feel like Sam, you've just said you know the good stuff going on with the setup. I feel like that was almost last year's excuse for Lewis. Um, you know, he was experimenting with the setup. I feel like well, it's, it's the Twilight Zone. It's, <laughs> they, they, they've got thirty. I think it's, they have the same number of points they did at this stage last year. Mm. The, the, the car, there's been you know whatever progress they made throughout last year has has evaporated over winter. But however you look at it, and someone said this to me yesterday, they said, you know, let, let's say Mercedes were fighting for the championship. At, at the moment, it looks like Russell would be leading that, right? It, then it really my does. prediction would be right. But it's not, so, Abby, because they're not. It could be. <laughs> I know, but he is a consistent driver. He is very consistent. He but is with... mis- He's Mr. Consistent. Exactly. He's also Mr. Saturday. This is so you never know. Be surprised. Let's not read into this. But with Hamilton, I think a lot of it comes down to his mindset. And Rosberg said it over the weekend that if Hamilton isn't feeling confident with the car and that, he can sometimes get into a bit of a lull. And I think when you're not confident with the car, you're then not at one with the car and you have to be at one with it to extract the best out of it. And I think with the W14, he's just not feeling it. Yeah, Ros- Rosberg's commentary on Hamilton's mindset. I, I don't feel like I'm reading anything to what he says. I, I just, I just, I, I, I love Nico Rosberg's punditry because it is. Lewis has this problem, this problem, this problem, but he's the greatest of all time. You've got to be like absolutely mega to beat him over a season. Yeah, like, when Lewis is doing well, Rosberg is like, he's the greatest driver anyone's ever seen of this generation. And when he's doing bad, he's like, yeah, but it's Lewis's mindset, man. <laughs> And it, but it's just yeah, it's he'll take any opportunity he can to like take little subtle digs at him, but also reinforcing the overriding narrative that you've got to be really impressive to beat him. <laughs> oh, wait, do we know anyone who beat him? Like, it's just oh, I love it, I love it. He's the greatest, I, and I beat him once. Basically. I could listen to him all day. <laughs> Okay, so that was um, the weekend up until the end of qualifying. And it is that time that I'm sure all of you have been waiting for this week, where we do the world-famous National Anthem Review. Oh, brother. (laughs) Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Survivor 46 is here and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast. And we have a twist this season. 
the winner of Survivor 45, D. Valladares, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcast. Okay, so let's have a listen. You know, okay. I think watching us listen to that says everything you need. Abby is just so kind and mature and sophisticated. Just so well you know, poised. You didn't, you didn't oh, break. You just, oh. you are the epitome of professionalism. <laughs> Abby is uh, Dominicali watching that just then, right? Because Dominicali, he's trying so hard not to laugh. And George Russell's face is just quality. I mean, guys, <laughs> did we think... That it could get any worse than Mexico last year. Uh, you know what? I, mean? I'm, I'm, I am so glad you mentioned Mexico because those of you who listen to the podcast regularly will recall uh. I compared uh, the Mexican anthem to a, uh, a certain. Uh, is it Duloc is the a perfect place, a <laughs> yeah. wonderful place yeah. Shrek, from yeah. Shrek? And see, uh. I I would. I think the Saudi Arabian national anthem loses marks because, in this case, there were no children. Because if you pair children singing to that music, you get almost a perfect replica of the song from Shrek. You do. Um, so yeah. It, so I, I read some yeah. of the by the way, I need to shout out to a guy on YouTube called well the the the, the channel is called Racing Station and they put the national anthem up after every race straight away. So I was just reading through some of the comments, right? Um I haven't laughed so hard in years. I nearly vomited from laughing before the race. Um the most entertaining part of the race so far. Um Well yeah, it's the, the, the first part. <laughs> Well, that's that's fair, like yeah. saying that's like saying that first you know the first day the records began was a real record breaking day. It's like, well, obviously. I mean, there's a lot that I can't read because the internet's a horrible place. But um, yeah, it was funny, and I think George Russell cracking up. Um, there, there was an article. Now I mentioned this to you guys before the show, but I think it sums it up quite nice. The Daily Star, um, a uh, newspaper in the UK, they wrote the headline: "Horrific Saudi national anthem played so badly that F1 drivers have to stop laughing." <laughs> I mean, come on. Oh, Sam, you're our editor in chief at the Formula Nose. What do you think of that headline there? Do you think that was quality journalism? <laughs> no, not really. Um, but I think it's to, it's to the point, right? It's, it's true. <laughs> it, it's maybe taking some liberties with, uh, with the ending. The drivers weren't, you know, kind of overtly laughing you could tell that they were a little bit bemused by it uh it wasn't like they'd just been at a stand-up show uh, but you know it's uh, it was a beautiful start to uh to the race uh, so yeah no no notes from me and there were kids but there were kids but i'm gonna get on to this um, so abby would you like to start us off with your rating out of 10 for the saudi arabian national anthem this weekend I thought it was a great effort. 
but it was completely out of tune to me. I think I liked the drums. The rest of it didn't really need to be there. Um, <laughs> so to say within zero and ten, I'll give it a one. The drums, Abby, that you liked were this. It's a good beat. <laughs> it's it, a beat, yeah. It actually sounds <laughs> remarkably like the drum they used. And you just use your desk at home. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Oh, we should replicate it and see if we can get it more in tune. Just get me a recorder. I'll leak into the right drums. <laughs> <laughs> I really appreciate how Abby used the, the teacher approach of the, uh, the excuse my language, the shit sandwich, where you start <laughs> off with a positive. Really great effort. Great effort. The middle. That was atrocious. The real bit. <laughs> yeah, the real bit. You know, uh, a bunch of worms could have done better than that. And then, uh, I don't know, I, I, I was lost uh, for animals or insects. Obviously wouldn't be able to play instruments. I landed with worms. Um, and then you ended by being like, you know, I liked, every, you know, I liked the drum. <laughs> so... <laughs> So oh, positive, man. So positive. So Sam, on that, what, what, oh sorry, Abby, what was your rating? I've forgotten. One. It was a one. One. Yeah. <laughs> Resembling a worm. Sam, what is your uh, what is your rating? <laughs> so I actually, interestingly enough, went back and listened to the 2022 uh, national anthem before the Saudi Arabian Grand Prix <laughs> to see if it was any worse or what was. The... Well, I just I, I felt like I needed some context because. Yeah. I, I listened to it and I thought, maybe it's me. Maybe I'm. I maybe I'm not getting this. Maybe this is how this is meant to sound. So I went back and listened to it. And last year they didn't have a live band. They played over a PA system, and I got to experience what the national anthem of Saudi Arabia <laughs> sounds like. Kingdom of Saudi Arabia actually does sound like. Um, and let me tell you that this this year it was not that. So you know, there were no children. They didn't. They didn't recreate recreate Shrek, um, so I'm going to give it a minus one. <laughs> there, but there were children, Sam. They just weren't allowed to sing. <laughs> they were there in front of the drivers. Oh, yeah, man. but that's 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 standard these days. Minus one, right? Okay. Um, it sounded to me like they were trying to play two different songs at the same time. Um, it was. It was brilliant, but for all the wrong reasons. I loved it. I've watched it more times than I've ever watched any other national anthem, purely for for um, entertainment value. But if you're going minus one, Sam, I'm going minus two. It was so bad. I can't believe they allowed it to happen. Did they not practice? Do you think they practiced? Yeah, it's 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 a very bizarre episode. Um, you know, I feel bad now because we've really, I think, lent into taking the mick here. They clearly tried their best, uh, but you know, it, I think next year we'll see the Saudi Arabian national anthem played over a PIE system. Yeah, well, like we've seen, they do take our feedback aboard, so um, we'll see what happens. And that is the end of the world famous national anthem review. So let's get into the race. Now, before the race had even started, there was drama. We didn't know it at this point. But Fernando Alonso had put his car in the wrong position in, in the grid. Now, I, I, I'm struggling, and I'm still struggling to understand why a man of his his career, his, his knowledge of the sport, why on earth he put his car so far to the left of his grid box? Now, 
it, it makes it easier going into turn one, but surely a couple of inches here and there, it doesn't matter. You just turn the wheel when you get off the line, right? So for those that don't know what we're talking about, Fernando Alonso was penalised for being out of his grid box. He was way too far to the left. Let's start with that, and then we'll get on to the rest of them. Sam? There's a few things to consider here, right? You know, let's not make a big deal out of this. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Sam. <laughs> I forgot no. it's irrelevant. <laughs> yeah, it, who cares? Five-second penalty, go over it. Uh, no. Um, I think this year it's being policed more heavily. We saw that last week with, with Esmond Ockham getting the same penalty. Also, I think with the, the cars these days, the wheels are so big. And also the, the wheel covers, the arches. So I think the driver's view is more obstructed than it previously would have been, which makes it difficult to kind of really accurately get your, your grid slot. And also looking at the, the grid for the Saudi Arabian pitch, you know, you know, main straight, they were quite narrow grid slots as well. There wasn't a great deal of margin for error. So I basically think there was this, you know, plethora of reasons or variables that came together they you know conspired to give Fernando Alonso a uh, a five second penalty. I I I I love you to bet, Sam, but I'm not buying that one bit. They can race wheel to wheel, but they can't see where they're going in the grid box. Come on, there, there's no way he. Okay, he's done it slightly intentionally, right, to get a bit of an advantage, but he's gone too far. I'll I'll, I'll say that much. But Abby, there was a picture of the rest of the grid behind. Right, have you seen this? Where. Well, well, uh, the, the drive with number one on his car was pretty much equal, equally out of his grid box to Fernando Alonso. Sam, have you seen it? I have seen it. I have not, but that's very interesting. No, I, they're not as far over. Don't make a big deal out of it, Ollie. <laughs> <They're not>. <laughs> <laughs> fight, fight me. I'm upset that you've just dismissed my my what three points that I made conspired <laughs> alright but, but my point is there are a few people outside of their grid box anyway we started the race and it was an incredible start to the race I thoroughly enjoyed seeing Fernando Alonso getting the jump on Sergio Perez Abby what did you think of that move going into turn one and were you expecting it it was a great move and I was expecting a fight between Perez and Alonso because it's Alonso and he's on the front row and I think I think that was Aston Martin's first front row start since 1959 I believe I think that was the start of the time, weekend that's around the time you were born Ollie no? <laughs> <laughs> it's irrelevant <laughs> but no it was great to see because I don't like it when a race is like the person on pole just leads for the entire race and goes off into the distance like boring because then it is a bit boring but having Alonso on the front row he got into the lead against Perez and that was his first time leading since 2012 Germany I think and it was just great to see because Aston Martin clearly have a great package this year now, do you think, Sam, this was a case of rebels saying, it doesn't matter, just let Alonso, he's going to be aggressive at the start, just let him get the lead because we'll win it anyway. Do you think it was along those lines? No, because I think Sergio Perez isn't the best starter. He hasn't got the quickest reactions and I don't think the Red Bull was the easiest car to get off the line. And also all weekend we'd been seen, we'd seen the 
car that would start second on the inside line have a better start. You have the inside corner as well. So not to get all kind of, you know, Suzuka 1990 about this, but surely pole should be on the inside line. Surely the, yeah. the guy who gets pole should have preference there. But, but then it would be the dirty side of the grid. Then it would be oh, all of that nonsense, wouldn't it? Yes, it would be. Yeah, it, it gets all kind of, yeah. I mean, you can't, can't have it both ways, clearly. But yeah, I don't think it would have been too much really of a consideration because I don't think they ever would have thought that the Aston Martin would be able to kind of gap uh, the Red Bull. So I think it was just to kind of, you know, keep it clean and sensible through that first corner and then let's settle into the race. Yeah, and that was not the only good, the only Aston Martin good start. Um, in my notes, it says Stroll Pass Saint. I think what I meant there was Stroll Pass Saints. Um, that was an incredible move around the outside, wasn't it, Abby? I mean, that Stroll, he's he's had his criticism over the years, but you can't criticise what he did around Saints. You definitely can't. So obviously Russell got ahead of science and straight away Stroll follows through. And it was quite a risky move, I think, going up against science on the outside. And he pulled it off. And considering what he's been through this season and the result that he got in Bahrain, what he qualified in this weekend, he is proving himself to be a great driver. And I think he is underestimated a lot of the time. But it is great to see that he is coming into it and not exactly up there with Alonso, but he is up there at the front of the midfield. It was a, yeah, it was a, a big boy move. Uh, we've seen it, it was a couple of times around that. I think it's turn 13. It's basically the the other end of the circuit when they start kind of then coming back on themselves. Uh, but yeah, my favourite part, if I remember correctly, was as Stroll was, you know, finishing that move and then, you know, pulling ahead of science the little reminder from sky was the you know vote for overtake of the month came up on my screen and i was yes. like yeah <laughs> funny you mentioned that i've just seen a really really good one but what I, I, again overtake of the month what a stupid competition because some months you have two races some months you have three some months you have one what is who came up with that idea where's that come from i've never seen it before and i don't like it Overtake of the race would be more appropriate. But I, I like that they're trying to drive engagement. I think that's a, a good thing. <laughs> Did you vote, Sam? Not yet. So they failed. <laughs> they failed. I'm, you I'm, probably thought no. it was irrelevant. I'm apathetic to overtakes. How much does, does the sport really need overtakes? Yeah, it, like you said, I think April has two races. March has obviously had two. But if you look at July, that's got three. So it's not really an equal rating but yeah like sam said it should be overtake of the race because there were plenty of overtakes during this race and many to choose from there were um i think that on the opening lap the other thing we can talk about is piastri um getting clipped so he he took a very very cautious start to this race it was almost right okay uh, you know I might lose a position, but I'm not going to get tagged here. And then the minute he goes into turn two, turn three, he, he got clipped. It was a sad start for Piastri, really, considering what he had gone through that weekend, right? It's that kind of age-old, sometimes you can be too cautious. You can be a little bit, yeah, too timid. And then, like, you know, when, when you're at school and you're playing rugby and they always kind of say, if you don't fully commit, when you have the ball or you're going into a tackle, you get hurt. And you do. And I think it's the same thing with 
with the start of an F1 race. Yes, you can not be overly aggressive, but you need to be more... Oh, I don't not get pushed around basically right yeah, you, you need to hold your less, ground potentially less cautious than he was but I completely understand why he was doing that because he just wants to get laps under his belt he wants to get in, in, you know further into the race especially after Bahrain so yeah it, it was a it was a, a horrific start for McLaren I mean Abby resident McLaren fan what what did you make of this race for McLaren because we obviously they had a terrible time last weekend but after lap one, it was a terrible time this weekend as well. It was because, as you said, Piastri got damaged. He had to come into the pits, get it changed. But also in the opening laps, we saw Norris come into the pits as well. And he had a front wing change. So they were both at the back of the grid, which is a shame because Piastri did qualify really well. But it's <laughs> the McLaren does have promise, but they are not there yet. I'm hoping with the upgrades that they're going to bring for Imola, they can actually like make some steps forward but it was unfortunate to see them so far back i'm pretty sure that i i, I read somewhere that the damage that norris um, picks up was from the debris that came off piastri's car i did wonder this sam actually yeah so unfortunate that's, that's mad a, such bad luck but you know these things happen it's a it's a street circuit there's nowhere for the debris to go no, no, there's not. Um, but Ferrari were moving backwards as well. So for Ferrari, this wasn't a, 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 a great race. How do we sort of summarise this? Because it was, it was, it was number one. They didn't have the pace, and then there were the classic mistakes. Now, Sam, you sent me a beautiful six-minute voice note earlier. Where I'm so oh, sorry. <laughs> Do you know what I did? I put it on times 1.5, so it, it made it faster. You know, Ollie, you know what's really depressing <laughs> is you're not the first person who said that to me. <laughs> but, uh, Sam, would you like to summarise in six minutes what you thought about um, <laughs> Ferrari? Yeah, I'm about to, uh, to to grandstand. What do they call it? Filibuster. <laughs> uh, no, I can sum it up in six words, not six minutes. One step forward, two steps back. The one step forward... They tricked Aston Martin and Stroll into an early stop. Brilliant. Good stuff. They're clearly thinking about strategy. They've, you know, there's an improvement there, right? The first step back, they then pit right at the start of the safety car window. So I'm sure most of our listeners know what the safety car window is, but essentially that is the period of time where if the safety car were to come out, you would pit. It wouldn't be too early in the race and, you know, you'd get the advantages that come with stopping under the safety car. So they pitted right at the start of the safety car window before there'd been a safety car. So again, quite a conservative approach. And then that essentially transpires with a safety car coming out a few laps later and the likes of Hamilton then being able to leapfrog them because they hadn't pitted yet. So yeah, a bit of a known goal there from, from, from the team. And then the other step back was during that safety car period, Charles Leclerc was not told by his race engineer to push between the two safety car lines. So you probably know that on the pit straight, there are two safety car lines, one, you know, just after the the final corner and one, you know, around about the, the, the first corner. And between those two points, you can push, fully push, you know, just floor it, even under safety car conditions. So when you've got someone ahead of you and you're trying to kind of get past them because you've already pitted, you want to be doing that. He wasn't told, by which point it was too late and he'd lost the position to Hamilton. It's stuff like that 
that I don't think it's solely on his engineer because Leclerc should know that, right? So there's just a, a few things like that. And then once they were behind, they were, as Ollie said, just slow. Just there wasn't pace there. And it was really disappointing because you expect more from, from this Ferrari. Yeah, and I think the key here is Leclerc would know that you can do that, but he wouldn't have known where Perez was in relation to the, the whole strategy that's going on, right? So he needed to be told. And I'm not sure exactly when that radio message came in, but it certainly sounded like it it was after he had crossed it. Um, and a clear frustration, again, at Ferrari. Um but just touching on the safety car, so that was Lance Stroll who was told to stop. Abby, what happened to Lance Stroll? Because it wasn't quite clear even why the safety car came out. No, that that did have me a bit perplexed, actually, because he had a good start. He was making up spaces. He had the pace. And then, obviously, Ferrari dubbed Aston Martin to then pit earlier. And Stroll came out and... You could hear Aston Martin over the radio and they said, Lance, stop the car, stop the car, stop on track. At which point, Double Yellows came out. And for Stroll, he pulled off of the track and he essentially parked his car out of sight just to be towed a bit forward and it would be completely safe. But the full safety car came out, which which to me is really weird because his car was out of sight and the drivers weren't even driving towards Stroll's car, the way that the track was, they were driving away from it, which, so I don't really get why the full safety car came out, especially when in F2, we saw some couple of nasty incidents, which had virtual safety cars instead of the full safety car. Yeah. And your, and your, your point here essentially is even if uh, someone had come off the track heading directly towards Stroll, they would have hit a barrier before Stroll anyway, right? So it exactly. was it was almost, why was the safety car there? It looked like they were being overly cautious. Sam, did you think it was overly cautious, the safety car? Or do you think we may not have seen the entire picture as it happened? I don't know. I'm, I'm kind of on the fence here because, I, yeah, it is overly cautious. But also, if you have a sensor telling you that the car is on the track, even though it could just be a bit of back wing... We've seen in the past where there have been instances, and yeah, obviously very different in every situation is 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 has its own unique variables. But when the FIA or race control have been uh, a little bit more risk acceptant during similar scenarios, they've been criticised for it. So I can understand the the want to then be more cautious here. But yeah, it looked like they'd kind of used the sensor as their primary port point of decision-making and not any of the hundreds of cameras that they have around the circuit that would have shown them that Lance Stroll was out of, you know, the harm's way completely pretty much. So yeah, it's, it's half a dozen of, you know, one half dozen of the other in that sense. Yeah, I think um, all, all in all, I prefer that they took the, the the safer option, right? That if you're not sure, be safe, especially at a track like Jeddah, you've, you've got to be safe. Um, and I think that's fine. But also, despite up the race, we needed a safety car. Um, we were almost waiting for a safety car just to bring it back to life. So this was the point where Alonso took his five-second um, penalty when he when he uh, did when he went to the pits. So five seconds without touching the car, or did they? Uh, which we'll talk about in a little bit. But Sergio Perez essentially maintained the lead of the race. Now. We've spoken a lot about safety car restarts and the way in which drivers manage it. I've watched Sergio Perez's restart a few times now, and it was genius. He was 
accelerating, stopping, accelerating, stopping. And he caught Alonso out. As soon as Alonso hit those brakes, Perez was off. It was a... It was a beautiful restart, and especially with the length of that straight, you can get caught out so easily. If Alonso had had anything on him, he would have lost the lead of that race. Sam, I know you're very passionate about your safety car restarts. How, how, what did you make of Perez here? Um, and don't get too excited about it, because it's only the, the second race of the season, but it was it was beautiful, wasn't it? It was very well managed from his his part. Let's not read too much into it. But no, I'm, I'm All right. pretty sure. <laughs> if, if memory serves me well, I think Sergio Perez has maybe um, misjudged a couple of restarts in the past. Or he has. Not necessarily leading from the front, but I think virtual safety car ending. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think in France was it last year where he got uh, outsourced course, yeah. by, by was uh, it Russell? Russell. Yeah. Yeah. So he's clearly looked at that, analysed that, and yeah, brilliant to see that he he managed that so well. Because, yeah, there's a few different ways of approaching them, and I think that was... It's always difficult when you get into that home straight because, yeah, you it's so easy to get wrong. But oh, I've, I've thoroughly enjoyed that, and I enjoyed that everyone was behaving themselves. No one was doing that kind of, you know, up alongside each other thing. It was uh, an example of what a safety car restart should be. Fantastic. And one person we haven't really mentioned so far is Verstappen. So, Abby, Verstappen was fighting his way through the field at this point, and he was behind George Russell, wasn't he? And this this is the point where he said, all right, it's my time. Now, th- this has been a bit of a talking point of how fast this Red Bull is when they have DRS. And it's almost... It's almost embarrassing, really, for every other car, isn't it, Abby? What, what, what's, what's your take on Verstappen moving up the field and the pace of that Red Bull? Well, he took longer to get to the front than I actually thought he would, um, which was quite nice to see because it gave the other drivers up front a little bit of a chance. Um, but yeah, he was trying to catch Russell and you could see he was struggling without the DRS. Obviously, DRS was only activated a couple of laps after the safety car and he was struggling to get past but down sorry my bracelet just banged on the desk down the straight with the drs that red bull is so quick i think crofty said it looks like f1 against f2 comparing all the other cars that aren't a red bull an f2 car and ted kravitz has now said that lewis hamilton who believes that the red bull is the fastest f1 car ever he is correct because the speed that they have i i really don't get how that is possible compared to every other car because it's not like the other cars are slow the red bull has to have something that when they have drs the rear wing is open just pushes them down the straight and i i don't want to say they're cheating but there is a bit in the race that martin (laughs) brundle said was a bit sneaky of the red bulls so there's something going on there, but I don't know what it is. So I've I've heard the 20 mile an hour advantage when they have DRS, right? And you've just got to think about this. 20 miles an hour, when you're going 200 miles an hour, people think, oh, yeah, irrelevant. If you're standing still and a, and a car, let's say a lorry goes past you, right? Right next to you at 20 miles an hour. That's fast, okay? And that lorry's already gone. But if you... That, that's a huge advantage for a race car. 20 miles an hour. It's almost like the, the rear wings just it folds down. Like, it's just gone. And Sam, do you, do you, you did raise your eyebrows when Abby said it's a bit suspect. Um, tell me what you're thinking. 
I was wondering if, if the cost cap might have been invoked at some point. Um, no, I, I think we don't have anywhere near enough um, to suggest that there is anything funny going on. I think it certainly does look incredibly suspicious because of how big that advantage is and I'm sure we'll find out more as the season goes on as to how they have done it and I think some of the other teams will also work it out there's clearly something incredibly clever uh, that they've managed to put at play with with the rear wing but I actually quite enjoy just seeing just how quick that they are on the straight when you compare it with with one of the other cars, it's a little bit like if you'd got you know me or Ollie or or, or Abby to do a hundred meter sprint alongside your same bolt. <laughs> it's just <laughs> kind of, it'd just be like, oh wow, yeah, you know, yeah, that's the difference. Yeah, I think yeah. he would have finished before I'd even start. <laughs> <laughs> but it is, Im- I'm not. It is impressive that that Red Bull has so much pace, and it's more enjoyable to watch when you have Verstappen starting from P15 and actually having to work his way through the field and not just starting on pole and then doing what he did in Bahrain where he ends up like a lap Mm. ahead of everybody else. It is more enjoyable when the grid is mixed up and credit to Red Bull and their strategists and the engineers and everything, because they are a level above everybody else. Yeah, I mean, they're the best in the game. But, you know, Verstappen fighting from P15, you wouldn't want him to get into the last corner and then have the overtake done you know, halfway down the pitch straight. You, you'd want there to be a fight going into the first corner, right? That That's sort of what I expected to see. I didn't expect, you know, Lewis Hamilton been saving his battery up. Verstappen comes past. He's already in turn three before Lewis Hamilton's taken turn one. It's, it's incredible. It, 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 you, you've got to take your hat off, you know, where it's due. Um, but speaking of Lewis Hamilton, he put the mediums on during the safety car and it seemed like he came a bit, he came to life. Um, now, Abby, I know you you particularly enjoyed this part of the race. Um, he overtook the Ferrari, which was very nice. Um, but it, it seemed like there was a... Mercedes has been saying, oh, this car's rubbish. We've got to re, re- reinvent it. We've got to start again. It's not that bad, really, is it? It doesn't look like it. I know Hamilton was saying, oh, I don't like the hard compound tyres at the beginning of the race. It's not working. Grip is rubbish. And then other people seem to like it. And when he went on the mediums, like you said, he came alive and he got past science. He did have pace. Yes, he wasn't on the podium or winning the race, but the W14 certainly looked better than what the whole team have been saying, saying they're looking at another concept. It's completely rubbish. It's, it, they beat both Ferraris. Both Mercedes beat both Ferraris. So it's not that bad. And they're second in the championship championship now after the second race. So there is some potential in that car. Sam, do you think it's Ferrari are particularly bad, or do you think it's Mercedes are moving forward? How would you how would you put it? I think it's probably the former. I don't think Mercedes are moving forward, and I think you've got Red Bull there as the context, uh, as the benchmark, and. For, for a team like Mercedes, if you're not winning, you're losing, and I think that's the big thing. I said, I said it in one of the piece that I wrote recently that I feel just like this concept is maybe reaching its ceiling. I don't think it has the potential that you'd maybe need it to to challenge the Red Bulls, and I think that's where the underlying issue is. It's not that it's not a good good car, you know, it, it is good, but Mercedes aren't about good; they're about great, and I think that's the issue for them. 
Yeah, and you know you don't learn unless you're losing. Um, Toto Wolf said that a few times over the weekend from um, the late great Nicky Lauda. Um, we had Alex Albon retire after a brake issue. That was sort of that field field spread itself out, but it was towards the end where Verstappen's in P two. And Sergio Perez said uh, something along the lines of, what's my target lap time, right? And then he said, what's Verstappen doing? And he was doing faster lap times. Did you guys pick up on this? And what did you make of it? Because it seemed like there was a switcheroo um, in the making, but Perez had clocked it. It did seem like that, because I think they said 32.6 plus four. And it was clever of Perez to pick up on it and I feel sorry for him because he got pole he's doing an excellent job of leading the race and Red Bull are effectively saying go slower so Max can get past and I know sorry Sam what were we going to say no no you finish first you finish first okay and I know after the race Max said like the team's happy the mood is generally happy but I'm not happy because I'm not here to come second I'm here to win and it's like but I know it Red Bull is a lot about Max and that, but your teammate just had an excellent weekend. And I felt like it was really unfair for them to say go slower than Max, but sneakily and not actually mm. in the right words. So Max wanted this win and Sam knows why he wanted this win, because there's a certain um, stat that, well, a record that he was about to break to do with Michael Schumacher, right? And yes. he's now lost it. So Sam, this is your moment because you've been, you've been building this stat up for the last... 15 races. I mean, it's not quite the same stat, but we'll run with it. We'll run with it. So basically, Verstappen had won 15 of the last 20 races, uh, which was equal to a, a period of Michael Schumacher's career. Um, don't ask me when, but I, you know, early 2000s when Ferrari were incredibly dominant. Um, and Verstappen would have won his 16th race in 20, out of 21, which would have then taken him one clear of, of, of Schumacher's record with that regard. I just want to circle back to the the overall kind of point because my read on this is very, very different to yours. Um, I think, first of all, I think Verstappen's demeanour after the race and also yours Verstappen's demeanour after the race is less excusable. Um, that was just not great sportsmanship. Um, you, you know, if you saw it, it was basically as Sergio Perez was celebrating, he had a really stony look on his face, didn't bother to congratulate him. But I think Verstappen's comment about I'm not here to come second was more about the issues they had on Saturday. And if we are this far ahead of everyone else and it's going to be a championship battle between the two of us, we need to have equal reliability. We can't have these issues. I think it's a premature comment to make. It's the second race of the season and you just so happen to have in a 50-50 you know, percent kind of split of it going one way or the other had the reliability issue. So... I think that's what that comment was about. And also during the race, I think that the team weren't trying to let do a kind of switcheroo. I think they had told Verstappen to hit a 133 and Verstappen had taken it upon himself to go lower, which then I, I think Perez hadn't been made aware of necessarily, which the team could have done. But also Perez should have expected that, right? And he, he needs to be more... Uh, savvy or, or, or you know a, a street smart in that sense, because Verstappen will do whatever it takes. We saw that with the with the the last lap where he took the fastest lap point, which swung the championship order from you know Perez would have taken a one point lead. 
basically, you've got to be incredibly careful with Verstappen because he will do whatever it takes to win. And that's no issue, right? As of itself. But Perez, he's going to have to have a Nico Rosberg-like season if he's going to at all challenge Max Verstappen. Mm. And this is, I think, the first time that he's kind of realised that and I think we're seeing a lot of the fallout from Brazil carry on. They're not going to help each other throughout the year. And I think they're just going to have to go at each other constantly because Max Verstappen will not compromise. He will not yield. Um, where it becomes an issue is if other teams do catch up and there's more at play and you kind of look at Verstappen and you go, mate, you've got to pick your battles. You need to see the bigger picture. It felt like Perez paranoia, if I'm being honest. He was expecting it coming. He was asking about it. And, you know, when when, when Max was saying, well, right, what do I need to do to do the fastest lap? The team said, don't worry about it. He said, I worry about it. Or, or along those lines. I can't remember exactly what he said. But I, I completely take the point. I, and I completely agree. Not just take the point. I completely agree that Sergio Perez should not trust what he's being told necessarily from his team because they are so heavily Max Verstappen weighted in that sense. He has to know that he's got a contract. He's going to get into that car every weekend. And once he's once the visor goes down on that helmet, he is there for himself and he needs to act as such. You know, we, we saw that over the weekend from the Mercedes where George Russell may or may not have defied team orders after the race, Lewis Hamilton's, you know, you know, brilliant George Russell podium. And he goes, yeah, I've, I was nothing to do with that. Like, you know, great for him, but I don't really care. So, uh, yeah, I think th- there's, yeah. Mm. I, I think you know what I'm trying to say. I, I know what you're trying to say. And, and, and bless you, you're doing it with your hands rather than your mouth. But I know what you're trying to say. <laughs> it's, a, it's, a do- it's a doggy dog world. And I think it'd be harsh to maybe criticise Red Bull and Verstappen and not, at the same time, criticise Hamilton. Mm. Now, talk, talking of talking of Red Bull paranoia, um, Max was on the radio towards the end, wasn't he, Abby? And he was talking very much about this drive shaft again. Now, the team was saying, yeah, there's, there's nothing wrong, but um, Adrian Newey and Christian Horner weren't... They didn't look like people who had nothing to worry about, did they? Verstappen was worried. The team were worried. What do you think was going on there? Well, I think, obviously, before the race not just from qualifying, but before the race, we saw Red Bull working on his car because I think it was fluid had leaked out of the reservoir of the brakes, but they managed to fix that, tidying it up. But then, as you said, the drive shaft broke again and you could clearly hear the whistle on the radio. Like, even people watching it at home, you could hear it. And it is concerning because it was supposed to be fixed. But I think I think the Sky commentators said it was going over the curbs aggressively and too much which obviously could then damage it and I I think it was the turn 22 and 23 I might be wrong on which corners but there was a bit where you see Perez deliberately not slow down and go off track to go around the corner and then you see Verstappen deliberately go off track and not slow down to go around the corner which means that they're going quicker and Brundle said that he thinks that could be intentional to keep up the speed. And I think going off the track so many times, because you're allowed to go off so many times before you're given a penalty, I think that ultimately caused Verstappen's damage. And yes, he was clearly worried about it because I think it was a persistent whistle that he could constantly hear. And the team were worried, but it didn't affect his race too much. It's a bit like when you drive over something on the motorway, right? And then you're constantly thinking, oh, God, I can hear, I can hear, I think my tire's going flat. I can hear something going wrong with the car. Once you've got it in your head, 
right? It must be, especially knowing that you've had a new gearbox, a, a new drive shaft. Once it's in your head, it must be absolutely horrific, especially being in P2 after battling all the way through. I, I can I can relate to how Verstappen thought, oh my God, oh my God, the car's going to break, the car's going to break. I, I'm sure of it. But I love that he, at some point over the last few laps, had this moment of, why am I worrying? I'm Max Verstappen then put, put in the fastest lap of the race. So he clearly wasn't that worried by the end. Um, but yeah, I mean yeah that that fastest lap at the end of the race thing right i think it had kind of been agreed that or they'd been told not to go for it um so some naivety from perez but understand i understand why he's a, he was annoyed at that because yeah he would have been i think the first um mexican to lead a world championship since 1967 oh my god yeah i think it was pedro rodriguez um so yeah i mean but you never know. Verstappen could have a bad weekend in Melbourne, and Perez could could you know open up a bit of a lead. I think we could have a really good battle between two. So the race finished with Sergio Perez obviously winning the race with Max Verstappen in second with the fastest lap. Fernando Alonso was on the podium in third. George Russell fourth. Hamilton in fifth. The medium tyre seemed to die on him, so he couldn't get past George Russell. And six Sainz. 7th, Leclerc, Ocon, Gasly and Magnussen scoring the first point for Haas this year. But that's, I mean, that's how the podium was. But it's, there was a lot to follow. Which one of you would like to try and explain to me what on earth happened? And they're both pointing at each other here. But I haven't pointed at anyone. <laughs> I thought I was just, you know, because I made a long long point about the Verstappen Perez thing so okay. I thought I would you know let you take this one Sorry. so Abby Alonso oh, been I, wasn't on the... to I was trying to be nice I feel bad now <laughs> so Abby Alonso had been on the podium he, he'd had his rose water and mm-hmm. um, all of a sudden he's told no you're P4 actually mate because of because when they were serving his five-second penalty for the incorrect starting position, the rear jack was touching Alonso's Alpine, not Alpine, Alonso's Aston Martin, which meant that the penalty was served incorrectly. So he was given a 10-second post-race penalty, promoting Russell to third. But then it all got a bit complicated and there were things on Twitter saying Alonso's actually retaining his penalty, Russell's in fourth, and then we finally got clarification from the FIA. And Alonso did retain his podium in the end, and Russell was in fourth, which meant that Alonso did get his 100th podium. See, And it was because whilst they did use the jack on the car, having the jack on the car doesn't equal working on the car, which is what isn't allowed when serving a penalty. So the stewards then overturned their initial ruling, giving Alonso the penalty because it would be deemed unfair if he was to receive 10 seconds. So he kept his podium. I think I think the bigger the bigger question here is how embarrassing is this for the FIA and F1 as a sport? Okay. And I always look at this in the sense of Casual fans, okay, they'll tune in over football or whatever else is on rugby and they'll watch your F1 race. They see Alonso on the podium and then they read later on, oh no, that's not actually what happened. Um, There was some infringement earlier on that was never mentioned and now the results changed. As a fan, you're going to think, well, why why the hell did I bother watching it? If that's the case. And then even worse is if they overturn it again. I mean, Sam, what... 
we've seen this happen before with um you know post podium um changes or penalties and things happening it, it, it just damages the sport horrifically it really does it does and it's uh, it's just a lack of conviction right because initially they'd got it right they'd said yeah no it's been it's been observed correctly no further action they're fine but then there's all this confusion and obviously the teams weren't completely weatherable so it's not just the FIA it's also the teams are a little bit unsure but ultimately that then sits with with F1 and the FIA to have much clearer rules the teams that teams can understand the better and it's then almost making that about what well, in fact making an about face and then making another about face so it's not a u-turn it's no turn by this point and it's it's all getting very kind of you know confusing the issue with also with waiting so long and not clarifying these things during the race which is kind of you know speaking more to your actual point ollie is that you know, Mercedes, Aston Martin, who are the teams that are kind of wrapped up in this because they're fighting on track, don't know if they need to put put a gap between the car ahead or the car behind. And once the race is finished, you can't then go back and rerun that. So the teams need to know more during the race than just letting it be sorted out afterwards. And we, we saw that a few times. Was it uh, Singapore last year when there was a, always Perez going to get penalties? Is mm. win going to be taken away? And I think he did get a penalty, but not enough to take away his win. This isn't the first time this has happened. Mm. And I think, uh, you know, F1 is a complex sport, right? It's not, uh, you know, 11 people aside, a ball and a net. But they've compared to VAR, right? Then they did use the comparison to VAR, how the way they looked at this. But it's not the same because VAR, you make the decision there and then, right? Is is it or isn't it? And uh, people who, you know, aren't F1 fans would argue, okay, it, it's not a ball and a net, but it's 20 cars on a track, right? Whoever finishes, finishes. And are we overcomplicating what is a fairly simple thing? Abby, what's your thought on it? Because there are two sides, whether whether you're an F1 fan or, you know, a football fan. Um, Sports can be complex, but overcomplicating it does no favours to our sport. Exactly. I think... It is very easy to be confused by it and to read too much into it potentially and overcomplicate it, in which case things can get even more perplexing and a bit messy. I think you need to have the clear set of rules and regulations and stick to them word for word. And if the wording is ambiguous, change it. Because we saw that with, not to bring it up again, but Abu Dhabi 2021 with the safety car and the wording of lapped cars unlapping themselves and that the wording has now been changed to make it exceptionally clear and I think that needs to happen and it does reflect negatively on the FAA but like Sam said it is not just down to them but for Alonso he said I remember the quote I was on the podium I did the pictures I took the trophy I celebrate with the champagne and he said they had 35 laps to apply that penalty it did take an awfully long time and it isn't great when penalties are applied after the race because you do get the people on the podium celebrating taking all the pictures and then it's oh, okay so I shouldn't actually be up there someone else should and they don't get the chance but it is very complicated and I'm glad I'm not the one making those decisions I think they could have made it a lot easier by just not 
having uh, by actually having the ruling that the jack is working on the car because if you think about it that that is still taking time to get the jack under the car that is still eating into that five second point and it still is an advantage being able to do that during that five seconds so it does take away we're talking about minute differences right but it would be so much clearer if you just say absolutely nobody can touch the car like nothing mm. at all. I agree, Sam. Is- no one can leave the pit. No one can even enter the area of the car until that's served because they wouldn't until yeah. the. Do you know what I mean? I, I I think I'm with you there. And I heard Martin Brundle say, "Well, they didn't gain an advantage by having the jack there." Well, they did because um, it was already there. But you know, we could go round and round on this, and let's not do that. Um, Abby, would you like to tell us a drivers' championship? and the Constructors' Championship, and then we're going to do our Drivers of the Day. Yes. So, in the Constructors, obviously, Red Bull are number one with 87 points. Aston Martin are number two, equal with Mercedes. They're both on 38 points. Ferrari are fourth. Alpine are fifth. Alfa Romeo are sixth. Haas and Williams are both seventh with one point and is alpha tarry and mclaren in ninth and tenth with zero points and the drivers well as you know max verstappen is number one only one point ahead of perez alonso is in third ahead of carlos Sainz. hamilton is in fifth ahead of russell lance stroll is in seventh charles leclerc is in eighth valtteri bottas in ninth and is esteban ocon who rounds out the top ten Awesome. So it's 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 sort of it's a weird representation of what we've seen in terms of how you look at those standings at the moment. Um, but let's do our drivers of the day. So I'm going to start with you today, Sam. Who was your driver of the Saudi Arabian Grand Prix? I'm going to go really obvious, Sergio Perez. For the one of the big reasons here, right? and we haven't actually mentioned it in our analysis of Red Bull's race, is that through all the kind of, you know, politics and back and forth going between the team and the drivers and, oh, he's, you know, doing a 132.6 and you, we said a 133, he still managed to maintain that gap to Verstappen of like four, four to five seconds through all of that, through all the uncertainty and unclarity, uh, if that's even a word, uh, and he managed the race. And he clearly had on pace the measure of Max Verstappen when he needed to. So for that reason, Sergio Perez. Okay, I think that's a fair shout, Abby. Well, Perez was one of my options, but as Sam said, I'll go with my second one. And it is Alonso. I know he had the penalty and things didn't quite go to plan at the beginning, but he had a great lead getting ahead of Perez and he did have a very good race. He managed to make a gap ahead of Russell to keep P3. And I was very impressed with his racing. Okay, another fair shout. Now, I was torn between Kevin Magnussen and Max Verstappen. I thought K-Mag had an awesome race, um, especially given um, his, you know, what happened on Saturday. Um, but I'm going to have to give it to Max Verstappen, I think, coming from P15 without someone crashing into the wall. Um, and I'm referring to the comparison that everyone says the last driver to win from P15 was Fernando Alonso in Singapore. Yes, that was Crashgate, everyone. No one said it on the commentary, but that was Crashgate. Um but I will give it to Max Verstappen. I thought, what, what a drive. Um, 
he didn't really put a foot wrong and um, sometimes you've got to give credit where it's due so Max Verstappen is my driver of the day so coming up in two weeks Sam where are we and it's going to be a difficult difficult weekend for us isn't it (laughs) it is going to be a difficult weekend for us Um, we are in Melbourne Australia for the Australian Grand Prix funnily enough Um, and the obvious issue that this poses is time difference all the sessions start at like what midnight UK time, so you know the middle of the night for the whole of Europe, and are finished by what seven eight in the morning. So we've got to cover those sessions, and then we've got to keep a consistent drumbeat of news throughout the day. So that's going to be a real fun thing for me to manage over the next few days to try and work that out, especially as my best friend's getting married that weekend. Oh, it's that I'm weekend. One, oh. I'm one. Of, I'm one of the best men. So I'm not going to be, I'm not able to work. Um, and oh, no. yeah, so I will, again, I'm very, very sorry, Abby, be <laughs> de- delegating to you um, for the second time in three races. I'm sorry. Um, it will be easier from here on out. I so, so poor Abby, we, we have our commitments where we have to publish our practice, practice reports, everything all on time. Um, and Abby, that's all down to you now. And it's not just one championship, it's F1, F2 and F3 in Melbourne, all three. And I think F3 starts Thursday evening in the UK, about 11pm. So it's from Thursday evening till Monday morning. So Ollie and James, if you're listening, you guys can help me out. Oh, of course I will, Abby. I mean, it's going to be the day shift and the night shift, right, for the, for that weekend. I can't wait. Do you know what? I always get excited for the Australian Grand Prix just because it's not normal. Like, you have to get up stupid hours or stay up or don't go to bed or whatever it is. It's just exciting, right? I, I've always enjoyed that. Yeah, I've particularly enjoyed all the people in Europe who've been like, oh, this is so inconsiderate. And I'm like, well, if you look at the if you look at the, the rest of the calendar, I think we come off pretty well on the grand scheme of things. So, yeah, it's uh, it's always a fun one. Well, we did have an Australian nerd, didn't we, for a while? And that's when I realised quite how inconsiderate um, F1 as a sport is to the Australians. You know, they the, the Australian fans, they are hardcore. You know, they have to do what we're going to do all year round. Oh, yeah, it was like, would you like to have a meeting at 6am or, you know, 11pm? <laughs> Take your pick. So. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. Okay, well, that is um, that takes us to the end of the show. As we mentioned at the top of the show, though, we have been nominated for the Best Motorsports Podcast at the Sports Podcast Awards. If you're listening at this point, I think... I think you deserve to give us a vote, right? You, you, you've been this dedicated. Go, just Google Sports Podcast Awards, hit Motorsport and find this show. Give us a vote. We'd really appreciate it. And um, yeah, we'll see you at the finish line. <laughs> that was cheesy, wasn't it? It was. I mean, it's not quite uh, James's lights out, mics off and away we go. But... <laughs> getting there yeah give it time give it time we'll write you a poem for the next (laughs) (laughs) well guys i've thoroughly enjoyed it um abby thank you very much for joining us this evening thank you for having me it's been a fun one and sam as always thank you very much sir thank you very much to you for hosting thank you very much abby for for the quiz thoroughly enjoyed it um and yeah 
thank you both of you for spending the evening with me. Oh, it's been beautiful. You're very welcome. <laughs> we'll be back with news from the nerds this week, where we will bring you up to speed on all the news that has gone on during the week and on the back of the Saudi Arabian Grand Prix. But until then, thank you very much and goodbye. You're listening to the Cut to the Race podcast. It's lights out and away we go. Sports Social Podcast Network.